this is Alex from Maracatu Maraberto, and welcome to the Brazilian Beat. Here are your hosts, Courtney and Diana. Hey, we're back. It's Courtney and Diana. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music making community one interview at a time. I'm Diana. And I'm Courtney. Woo-hoo. Hello, everyone. <laughs> How is everybody? <laughs> They're always so quiet. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're back. We're back with more interviews, more people, more more Courtney and Diana. Here we are with another episode. (laughs) More Maraca 2. Oh, and more Maraca 2, yes. We're going to be talking a little bit Maraca 2 today, and Courtney and I have been doing a lot of Maraca 2, prepping for a gig in Seattle at the um, World Rhythm Festival at the Seattle Center. If you're out and about near Seattle, you should go check it out. Yep, it should be fun. We're meeting up with all the Seattle folks up there. And some people from Bloco Energia in Vancouver, so we'll see all those guys. And then some old um, friends I used to play West African with. They're always there. That's oh, always nice. fun to see those guys. Yeah. Yeah, they're always out on the lawn just being their badass selves. <laughs> So good. Yeah, I anyway. I didn't make it last year, so I'm excited to play oh. uh, Madaka 2 PDX this year as we take right. our contingent up there and meet our Seattle family. <laughs> yeah, they're good putting us all up in their houses and stuff, and then then we're partying it up. <laughs> yeah, so. crazy pagogi that on Saturday night's gonna be fun. Yes, with the very popular Normenia. Do Cavaco mm. and Do Banjo. <laughs> Is she gonna be there? Banjo, for sure. Sorry. I believe so. She's awesome. She's an amazing woman in Seattle who plays both uh, Cavaquinho and, and uh, Banjo, and uh, excited to see her play. She's been here before, and I guess she played the last party in Seattle that we were uh, there for. So yeah, she's Woo-hoo. got a really strong voice. Partying it up. Nice. Yeah. Um. What else, Courtney? What else have you been doing? I've got, I've got Dudu Fuentes living in my house. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I awesome. hope your husband's aware of that. <laughs> oh, he is. He's been cooking cooking for us. Nice. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Dudu is a great artist visiting the Pacific Northwest. We hope to be interviewing him again. You'll find him in an episode. When when was that, Courtney? This fall, right? Uh, yeah. It was after. It was like in October, I think. Okay. So maybe like November. I don't know. Again, we should know the order of our <laughs> of our podcast. Hold on, let me look. Episode ten. Oh wow! And we'll this is episode from. twenty, by the way. Episode so twenty. We, we need to celebrate that. We did his on the halfway mark <laughs> yeah um, so when we talk to Dudu again we'll have a little different focus in that conversation uh, if you're wondering about that oh you guys got questions for him send them to us yes we'll ask him do send us questions we'd love to hear from you all moving on to our guest today we speak with Alex Bordokas from Toronto Canada and he's a cultural producer based out of Toronto and often moonlighting in Rio. He is the founding artistic director of Umanota Culture and has spent many years as both an artist and an independent music promoter, always focusing on music from the tropical world. He has been at the forefront of many productions in conjunction with Lula Music and Arts Center and the Luminado Festival, as well as several projects in Brazil. He is currently an artistic associate at Harborfront Center in Toronto. Since 2002, Alex has lived within the rhythm of Maracatu and has researched and studied various styles, immersing himself in the style of the northern area of Recife. He counts among his teachers Mestre Walter de França and percussionist Eder Rocha. Alex was among one of the first to start a Maracatu group in North America in late 2003 when he founded Maracatu Nunca Antes. Today, Alex is the artistic director of Maracatu Mar Abertu, spearheading the young troops' artistic initiatives and community-driven presence in downtown Toronto. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Courtney. Diana, how's it going? 
it's gone. How are you? I'm good. Stabbed my eye today, but it's it's all okay. Good, and I had an ice cream injury to my hand where I couldn't open a can of ice cream or gelato, so I'm bruised. I can't play Abe at rehearsal now, so um, yeah, we're clumsy. Yours um, is definitely worse. <laughs> So other than that, doing great because I just had my Moscow Mule and we're ready to roll (laughs) with Alex Bordocas from Toronto, Canada. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks for being on. Thank you, guys. So Alex, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's going on in in Toronto? So I play Maracatu like Jibaki Virado, like many people in North America. And I guess uh, I am one of the main uh, people who make the Maracatu music scene here in Toronto move, move. And yeah, and we have a rather diverse Brazilian music scene in Toronto. Why are there so many Brazilians living in, in Toronto? I don't know, actually. Well, I would say the majority of the Brazilians who live here are here for like labor in the like labor so a lot of people are working in the construction industry and things like that but there seems to be a really vibrant sort of musician class here in toronto Hmm. too Uh, i mean there's we have like four samba groups a samba hege group we have two maracatus and we have um, a bunch of groups that do, I guess, what you'd call fusion of Brazilian rhythms with other other rhythms. Mm-hmm. So it's actually quite, quite fertile ground. And be, the nature of Brazilian music being very like community involved, where the big Brazilian groups create, um, can have professional, semi-professional, and amateur players. It kind of creates a market for the actual bands that play Brazilian music. So there's a lot of people who go out to see Brazilian music as well. Here, That's can nice. you tell us how you personally got into maracatu and how you found out about it? Yes. Well, I was now. If we go back almost almost two decades, we're a few years shy of that. Um, I went to Brazil on a cultural visa. At the time, I was doing a lot of capoeira. And I had, I had been exposed to capoeira. I got acquainted to capoeira here in Toronto. And I went to Brazil, originally thinking that I would do a lot, a lot of capoeira. And I guess I sort of fell into a very bohemian scene down there. And I ended up at a circus school at one point. Mm. And from there, they were doing a maracatu workshop. And this was in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. So Belo Horizonte in Minas Gerais. Mm-hmm. And from there... Um, I started going to these maracatu classes. Initially, it was just to improve my percussive skills because I was playing hand drums at the time. I was playing in this band where I was playing djembe. And it was, it was a big kind of fusion band where they had djembe's, alfaya's, bass, different pieces of percussion, song. It was actually an incredible band. It t- totally blew my mind at the time. It was all, a very part of this youthful circus movement in Belo Horizonte, and I, I sort of joined up along to that band, and I started taking workshops in Baki Virado, Maracatu, to sort of improve my skills so I could understand the music better while playing in this other band. And from there, it just started happening. It, And then one day, Mestre Walter from Estrela Brilhante do Recife came to Belo Horizonte, gave a workshop with Mauricio, Mauricio do Estrela, who's a dancer, and we hit it off us and many people in the group, we all hit it off. And he said, you know what? Next year, you guys should come to Recife. So we kept playing, kept playing lots of gigs. It was great. I spent like almost a year there in Belo Horizonte doing that. And when the time came, I went up to Recife for Carnival. And from there, after seeing the Maracatu Nations happening, doing their thing, this was in 2002, I, I was able to play with Estrela Brilhante, playing Abe at the time. And from there, I was just, I don't know, I guess you'd say hooked. And from there, I just went on. From just, that's where it started. And at that point, there wasn't really a scene in North America of anyone doing it, correct? No, no one had started at that point. Not even, Scott hadn't started yet in New York. We hadn't started here either. 
So I think those two movements started around the same time. So mm -hmm. with Maracatu, Scott Kettner, he learned Maracatu with uh, George Marchins mm -hmm. in, at this sort of school in the center of Recife called Corpus Percussivus, which right. at the time was, was catering a lot to like the classimedia, the middle class of, of Recife. And uh, I learned in Belo Horizonte through that circus school and this teacher called Lenis Hino. And when we went to Recife, we had a direct line into Estrela Brilhante. And the following year, me and my partner at the time, my girlfriend, Alini Morales, who, who's also still here in Toronto and has another maracatu, uh, we came to Toronto in late 2002 and 2003 and started our group here. And that then was called Maracatu Nunca Antes or Baki Nunca Antes. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, Scott started Maracatu New York. So those were the first two uh, Maracatus in North America, as far as I know. And how did you get your group going? Um, did you bring uh, alfayas and instruments back? or It started with one alfaya. Mm -hmm. I came up. I started doing, basically, I just got a bunch of friends and meet in the park. And we started doing this style of percussion. And I already had a, a, a method uh, of teaching that we had gotten from Lenis, who had himself learned from Eder Ohosha. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Eder, but we brought him up here a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. So Eder is, has a school in Sao Paulo called um, Prego Bachido, which means the hit nail. And uh, he he was also part of Estrela Brilhante, and he was actually our introduction there. He was the one who kind of like vouched for us. He was. Him being part of uh, his band at the time called Mestre Ambrosio, were mm -hmm. really they made a big impact on the roots music scene from Recife in the south of Brazil. So that band popularized the Recife styles of music among uh, you know the sort of I don't know how to say this, but let's just call this demographic the university educated or the artsy focused middle to lower middle class people. But of course, it's not that black and white. I don't want to put it into that box like that. It kind of expands into many other people. But there was a scene of people who studied the music from the northeast of Brazil. The movement in Sao Paulo had been going on for quite a while. In Rio, there was Rio Maracatu. But in Belo Horizonte, it was very new. And it kind of came from the Sao Paulo sort of wave of people who started liking this music with Chico Science. So Eder was the one that who was our reference at the time. Did that answer the question? I don't even Definitely. know. Yeah. You yeah. did. <laughs> so did you say that he had a, a teaching style that you copied? Yeah, so he had a method. So, I mean, and I still use this method to this day. Um, in fact, I, I, I kind of take some pride in being able to bring up like some batuqueros, especially beginners, because this method is really good. And I feel like Myself, having not been 100% natural nor from the spot, I was able to look at learning a little differently and I discovered the little tricks and sort of methods, the didactic methods to be able, for people who are not of the tradition, to be able to pick up the technique rather quickly. And technique and feeling and also like the, the physical element because often, you know, you get drum kit players or you get other musicians who, who can kind of understand the music but they're not playing maracatu. They're just kind of playing the musical cells or the notes in the right spot. But the whole effort of their body, the the whole style and technique, the whole exactly. gaha, the whole energy you have to put into it is totally missing. You know, and, and so I feel like that's a big part of it and that's something you have to instill in the student too. So we start our classes usually in a circle we all walk together, we do different rhythm games just to kind of gain that attention and that group, the dynamic. We'll do attention games with each other, we'll do different rhythm games where we clap out the gongue while walking, we do different vocables, so we do la, pro samba, vo samba, vo pra la, pro samba, imitating the kasha part, boom, kata, kata, boom to get into the alfaya and, and so on, right? So we imitate all the instruments, work together, sort of spend the first half hour of class going through those things. And then walking, playing the gongue on your hands and singing different songs, call and response, and really belting it out. 
explaining, no shame, don't forget to breathe, no, don't, no shame in the game, everyone learning and getting the song out. After that, we take the instruments and then we do different, you know, with beginners anyways, I usually do different techniques for them to open up and get used to the drum because it's not necessarily a very organic thing. And often, even in the south of Brazil and in different parts of the world, you see the the gringos or the non-Brazilians play and it just, just the visual element seems very stiff, right? So there's that whole element of opening up the body, getting your arms loose, getting, you know, comfortable with the instrument, being able to walk with it, move this way, move that way, and play, and play with confidence because it's really important to hit hard. And, and it's, I mean, it's a balance, right? You have to hit hard yet play relaxed. So trying to instill that sort of dynamic when students play or when we all play is really important to us here. So that's how we do it. <laughs> that's, I guess, the method. Yeah, that's fascinating. And we focus a lot on the rice and beans. So while many groups, I noticed a lot of groups that here anyways, they like to do a lot of different breaks. But for me, the joy of it is always like how well and how much soul, how, how can you play the bass rhythm well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yep. So do you have, um, how does your group work are you're the head of it and then you have like section leaders or like that's a first first before i ask that how many people are in your group uh okay well the way it works with these groups is sometimes you have a lot of people and then sometimes you don't have as many people because i don't know you just did a big gig Everyone mm-hmm. worked really hard on it and then you have like two months without a gig and then, you know, you'll get one class with five people and then two weeks later you have 30 people. So it kind of averages out around 15 to 20 people every week mm-hmm. and it's pretty good. We have a few core people. I guess I should say that I'm the artistic director of the group Maracatu Maraberto, which means Maracatu of the Open Sea. And the reason we have that name is because in Maraberto, it's a very powerful image, the open sea, but also in the lore of Maracatu, in the history of Maracatu, it's the story of Africans in Brazil who came across the open sea. So we sort of use that imagery of the open sea and the power of the waves and also the way the, the Marcasson or the, the Luanda, the, the bass rhythm of Maracatu works. It's these moments of tension, tension, and then release. So it's kind of like a boat rocking on the sea. And so Maraberto is what we do. We bring that sound of the sea. We are the brow of the ocean in, in this, the metaphoric sense of Maracatu. So we like to bring the heaviness of the, that, that imagery with us. So I guess Maraberto is about 20 core people. I mean, there are videos you can see of us online in Kensington Market playing in Toronto outside, also on different stages here. We, I'm usually the guy with the whistle. I've recently, in the last couple of years, we've brought up guest teachers. Also, as my life has gotten busier, it's been good to be able to... I can't devote as much of it to the study of Maracatu and being able to come with fresh ideas and always focus on this so in the last couple of years uh garnize i don't know if you know him he's the leader of tambores Jolukun. he's come into town and he's kind of taken uh the lead during the summertime the artistic lead but we work very well together that's why in fact i thought of it before when i knew i would need someone to come and help i knew garni would be a great guy because he he has a lot of knowledge in different styles of maracatu, but I also found that I would be able to work well with him. So we don't, I mean, I guess we're both kind of, he's a shoe and I feel like I'm very Shango, very like um, leader-ish. So, you know, I thought we could strike a good balance, which is, is very important, you know? So when he came along, he started bringing in other vision, a different vision of maracatu, which was less Estrella focused than mine. 
Because mm-hmm. both of us being people who like to research Maracatu a lot and the different stories and the history of it, we both have very strong opinions. But, you know, we're also both at that age where we, we don't like butt heads about it, but rather exchange the information. So that involved a, lo- a lot of me having to let go of the direction I wanted the Maracatu to go in, in order to keep it dynamic and interesting for the students. Mm-hmm. Um which itself is a whole other story because I really had an, an artistic direction I wanted to go with, and but we'd accomplished that, so now it was time for something new. So that, that's been a great addition for him coming up two years in a row, and he hopefully will come up this year as well. Uh, that's awesome. See. Yeah. How do, you, how do you fund him, his, his trip to... Okay, well, yeah, that's a very good question. We have something called the happen? Toronto Arts Council... And for the last couple of years, we've been very lucky. We've written grants and we've gotten them. You never get your full amount you request, but we got uh, a significant grant. So we were able to pay for his trip over and mm-hmm. a little bit of money extra for him to stay. Plus we like do classes and also we have gigs in the summertime. And so that kind of helps keep things going. It's not a huge payday for him, but it's not small either and everything's paid for so it it's it works out fine i'm sure now that with how money is down there i'm sure it's it's worth more it's, yes exactly yeah so the first year he came the the dollar and the hail the canadian dollar at least were more to par however that was the year of the pan am games here in toronto so we had we were we had tons of gigs going on and we weren't able to do them all. It was just like insane. So it was wow. good to have him in town mm-hmm. and his kasha. So even when we didn't have the full group, we had a solid, solid kasha. And then I could play Alfaya or, you know, we could fill it out really nicely. Yeah. Now, is your group, I don't know how it, it works in Canada, but are you a nonprofit group or are you just a community group? You know, how do you classify yourself? We, we classify ourselves as an ad hoc collective. So we're able to have a bank account. I mean, we are nonprofit in in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. However, we have not applied for nonprofit status. Mm-hmm. Um, I am part of many nonprofits, like where I'm involved artistically. The problem is nonprofits have this whole bureaucratic process involved with them. So in order to avoid that process, we just continue to function as an ad hoc collective and we are able to access grants with that. We mm. can't access any mega grants though, like right. anything that is provincial funding or federal funding. We can maybe get small grants, but nothing big because it's just the next level. But to do a nonprofit in Ontario, you need to have a board of directors that have to meet annually. Right. There's another mm-hmm. level of accounting involved. Which basically takes up a lot of time. And if we're not getting operational funding, which we do not, it's just not really worth it. And I don't think anyone wants to devote their life to teaching, you know, to to just running this group at the present time anyways. I want to take a quick step back. You had said, mentioned the word Luanda, and I've heard that or I've read about that as being like a point of departure um, for some of the slave ships, but you also mentioned it as the uh, Alfaya beat in Marika too. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the beat that's like mm-hmm. so that among some groups is called Luanda, Bakiji Luanda, right? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, so in Estrela and the groups from the Zona Norte, which would be Estrela Brilhante, Encanto da Alegria, uh, Gato Preto, all those groups, uh, Leão, uh, not Leão Croado nowadays, but uh, yeah, Elefante, those groups, they call that group groove marcação, like just the marking beat, the, the standard beat. Yeah, yeah. But for example, right, yeah. Puerto Rico might call it. it, yeah, Puerto Rico mm-hmm. might call it Baque de Luanda. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other groups have called it Baki Luand as well. Interesting. Yeah. Totally. Uh, there's like a lot of the, the the names have recently, in recent years, have kind of settled on one name. But 
in past, in the past, my understanding is that they had many names. So Bacchi Martello might be called something different in in mm. a different group or different, you know, like Igarasu. They never really had. They never really called what they did Male or Imale. It was just always that's just Otoki do Igarasu, which is gum chakum 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 gum chakuku chakum chakum gum. That that sort of beat. And oh, cool. yeah. Actually, an interesting story is Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's uh, the beats we know today from Puerto Rico were basically, I mean, they were, they don't come from thin air. So, um, Mestre Chacon he kind of created or curated these beats for his maracatu, because maracatu Puerto Rico before it was with Mestre Chacon had a different style of playing. So this style we know today is Puerto Rico is really Chacon's Puerto Rico, which mm. is really interesting. We forget that with every maestro, every generation of of these groups, the rhythms are constantly changing and evolving. I mean, I've seen that in Estrella from when I was first there, how it's evolved today, and how the young kids like Pitoku, who you guys obviously know, and his sort of crew of Chiago, Pitoco, Junior, how they put in their accents and their influence within the Baki, which is already a takeoff of what Mestre Walter used to do, which was different, you know? So my first exposure to Estrella Brillanti, they were doing different kinds of viradas and variations than they are doing today. It's really interesting hearing the evolution. Um. Courtney, you mentioned or asked Alex about Luanda and um, something that I found quite a long time ago when I was just researching all kinds of stuff is uh, Alex has a um, an ethnography of Maracatu online that Ooh. our listeners and you can all uh, access. Alex, awesome. do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I think it's available on the Maracatu Maraberto dot ca or .com website, one of those two, .ca for Canada. I'll put up a link. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Okay, yeah, put up a link, please. Um, Yeah, and that was, I think that ethnography, if I'm not mistaken, was from 2005 or 2003 even, I'm not even sure. Um, And that, see, so that's kind of a snapshot of Maracatu as I understood it at that time which is really interesting. I'd like to revisit it and see what I what I find problematic with it and what is different. <laughs> but I mean, I mean I don't have it right in front of me, but at the time I broke it down to what is a maracatu and and I broke it down to three elements and then expanded on those. So one of them was the presence of a royal court and including of course the king and queen. The other one was the kalungas or the dolls that are involved in the maracatu and mm-hmm. the obligations that go with those dolls. So I, that means religious obligations and that varies from group to group how that is manifested and how deeply that is manifested and the amount of care given to the dolls. And then the third element was uh, the presence of the batuki, the, the, the style of maracatu that they play and and within that batuki or bakiji maracatu it usually conforms to the prevailing style of maracatu in baki virado that we know today you know using those same cells and the four beats and the gonge lines and whatnot so kind of a, sa- a mix of those different element musical elements to create a maracatu yeah now did you write this for a thesis or just for your own so I went back to school and I'm like, okay, how can I get an extra credit at school? I always liked being in school, but I didn't want to devote myself to a master's, which my, my professor was asking me to do. So I said, okay, I'll do an independent study course. So I, I did this as an independent study course hmm. as an undergrad. Yeah. But the whole course I created, it was devoted to studying Maracatu. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, it's it's very, it was, I was very lucky to be given that opportunity to be able to create my course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, really cool. I like the inside stories too. Yeah. About Mestre Walter. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I have a, like a very interesting relationship with Mestre Walter. There was one year, like 
I sometimes feel that when I'm there in front of the whole group, like I've been going for so many years now that I'm very mm -hmm. accepted. But every year I go, there's new people that I that don't know me, right? So it always takes that little bit of time to gain people's trust. And like people look at you kind of cut eye and like, who's this guy? Uh, you know, this white guy from North America here, but he speaks Portuguese and all the older members of the group, all they all know him and they talk to him and they like joke around together, but they don't really know me. And so a lot of it is understanding the, the Alto José do Pino, which is like a very intense, very, very intense spot is just a cultural cauldron. There's so much that goes on there. It's also a very disadvantaged neighborhood in certain in certain in a certain capacity. So obviously there's problems with uh, a, there are I don't know addiction issues. There's sanitation issues, access to water issues. You know there's uh, m m many different issues that you find in many impoverished communities. Uh, uh, around the world. I feel uncomfortable even saying that it's an impoverished community because I feel like a lot of people take a lot of pride in in that neighborhood. They wouldn't even want to hear it articulated in that fashion, you know. And I feel that it even me as someone who's been going there continuously but is not from there, if someone else started saying, "Oh, that's a poor neighborhood," it would kind of bother me and I would feel defensive about it. But most definitely it does not have the infrastructure that other neighborhoods in Hisifi had. But, I mean, there's in the summertime, which is, you know, carnival season, there's water available only like three or four days a week max. You know, like you have to store your water, you have to do it. And it's very hot, very dry. The the sewers, um, it's a built up moho, right? Uh, it's a built up neighborhood kind of. Uh, what they call comunidade, but what in is often described in Brazil as a favela, even though it's not technically a favela. There's so many different criteria for all this. But it, anyways, so there's a lot of challenges facing the community there. Lack of a good education, lack of sanitation, lack of all those things I already mentioned. And so there's a lot of distrust within the community and with foreigners and, you know, white people who come from outside, you know, and, and whatnot. So that permeates itself. I remember when I went there with a friend of mine who's uh, Afro-Canadian and we went and he's like tall guy and we went together and he, he got to Hesifi and it was like we got there together and I introduced him to everyone. I mean, he was instantly famous there. It was yeah. so so funny because they were like oh this guy's cool Donna Marivalda was like does he play because I have instrument for him if he plays for me it's like I gotta like prove myself for two months playing with them doing everything for them to give me a chance you know and he was like look at this guy he's awesome he just got there and it, and it was like it was kind of cool like I guess the the reference of another person a black person who's like it was it was an instant connection for them, you know that African heritage. This guy's from North America, so I find that that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but I was gonna get get onto an anecdote about Mestre Walter. So when sometimes when I'm there, he kind of fakes that he doesn't like me or doesn't give me the time of day. But when we meet in other times of the year, he's like super cool and he's like, Alex, can you get me this? Can you get me this? Or when I'm, I'm, if I rent a place in Hisifi, he'll drop in. He used to do this more back in the day. Nowadays, when I go, he's got his own thing going on. He wants to spend some time in his house. And I'll drop by his house and he'll like sit down, get water for us, make coffee and like just put in DVDs because I often feel like he doesn't know what to say to me. So we talk for a little bit and then we run out of things to say and he just puts DVDs of different maracatus and we watch together. That's cute. And... There was one rehearsal where we were all doing this song. I don't know if you know it, Mana Mia. I mean, I don't know if that's the official name. It's, but I can't really carry a tune very well. But it's like, Oh Mana Mia, Olinda Sereya, Oh Mana Mia, Olinda Sereya, Urubarana, Senora Guerreira. Anyways, so 
I was having trouble with it, and Mauricio Duistrela, the dancer, he said, come to my house tomorrow. I was like, all right, sure. He often likes that I visit. And I went to, to visit him at his home, and I got there, and I opened up the gate, and there was Mr. Walter waiting for me. <laughs> and he's like, and so he spent the next hour with me singing different songs, wanting me to get them. So if I come back here, that I can teach them right. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was nice. You know. So I've had those, those very intimate interactions with Mestre Walter. I'm good friends with his son too, and we continue to talk. His son is a teacher, actually, of history. So mm-hmm. we have a lot to talk about. We always debate things, mm-hmm. all the time. He's more liberal than I am about these topics where I'm like, no, if it's not a real maracatu, it's just a maracatu group that plays maracatu. They don't have these elements. And he's like, why? Why do you got to be like that? He's like, hey, if, it's, if they're calling themselves it's a maracatu, it is a maracatu. Yeah. Didn't he have that whole project going on? He was sending like um, surveys out to groups around the world. To see That's what was true. That's true. I wonder if I ever filled by a note. I don't I know. It's like your email. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read it till like a minute before this interview. <laughs> I have to ask Jeff about that because Jeff was the one that turned me on to that and told me about it. Yeah. Nice. Jeff's an interesting cat too. Like, I mean, that last year I saw him in Hesifi, he was staying in Jonathan's room, Marivalda's son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he got like... Naveya, he got it. So when I go there nowadays, I'm not as radical. It's like, oh, I'd rather find an apartment away from Altsedupinum mm-hmm. and just chill out with some of my other friends and not make my life like eat, drink, sleep, maracatu, right? Right. Yeah. When was the last time you went? Good question. Um, What year are we in? 2017? I was there in 2015. Wow, two years. It's the longest I haven't been back, actually. So when you go, do you just basically stay in Hasifi or do you go to Rio or anywhere else? I definitely go to Rio. Mm -hmm. And I only go to Hasifi these days at carnival time. Although Mm -hmm. I I would like to spend some more time there. But um, I don't just go for like the week before carnival. Usually like to spend a few months there. Mm-hmm. Pre Carnaval, the the time leading up to Carnival is almost it's the best time. It's the best time for the rehearsals. That's when I you mean. play, and you like do the rehearsals, and you go through the neighborhoods. You do the big ahastoins, and it's amazing. It's it's kind of crazy when when the big ahastoin. Um, or the, the parade when you go walk through the neighborhoods playing maracatu. It's kind of insane. It's like this big beast coming down and everyone's like moving out of the way. Mothers are picking up their kids that are like coming in the way of the drums. You sometimes stop to let a car or a guy on a motorcycle through. You're like, you like stop playing for a moment because you like stepped in like a little bit of sewage with your one foot and your habayanas and then you stop playing to look down at your foot and then I don't know how like Mr. Walter, like who was all the way in the front has like ran 50 meters and he's in your face and he's like, play, why aren't you playing? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? You know, it's, it's pretty intense, but it's pretty amazing too. So maybe uh, one thing I'd like to talk about is our symbolism at, in Maraberto. Sure. Yeah, I want, yeah, we I want to hear more about your your own group. Yeah, so okay, so we talked earlier about uh well actually no, I saw on your website that you interviewed some somebody who went to Tambores Jolokun. Mhm. Okay, yeah, Jeremy. Jeremy. Parker. Okay. Uh-huh. And I just thought about this cuz uh in the background Tambores Jolokun had their standard there. And there's a trident. And so for them, the trident is the symbol of Olokun, who's in the water, the, in the bottom of the ocean, right? Different from Yemanja. And for Maraberto, we had chosen the trident for several reasons to represent, uh, to represent our, us, right? And one of them was because the trident is also a symbol of uh, Eshu, 
right? Mm -hmm. And Yeshua abrios caminos, right? He opens up the paths. So, so it's a very important thing. There's that connection with the Orishas. And another one was Poseidon, or, yeah, who is the god of the sea in, in Greek mythology, right? Mm -hmm. And that we're, our name was Maraberto, so it had that connection. For me, it had a personal connection because I'm, like, of Greek heritage. So the Poseidon image was very powerful to me. It's a very powerful in the Odyssey and whatever. And then also, the trident had the connection to Shiva in Hindu, Hindu cosmology. Now... That was important to me also because it represented the destruction and creation or the creation and destruction, however you want to look at it. Because Maraberto came about after the prior group, Maracatu Nunca Antes, uh, fell apart. So we had another group here in Toronto called Nunca Antes. We recorded a CD. It's out there. I'm sure you can find it. If you go to a SoundCloud, it's readily available for, for download. Uh, anyways, so that group fell apart. Uh, it, it was precipitated by the breakup of me and my partner at the time. It just wasn't tenable, so we decided to put that away. And from the, those ashes kind of arose Maraberto. So that whole Shiva creation destruction metaphor was very apropos. So the trident seemed to be the right pick for us. And that with the name Maraberto... So it came to symbolize who we are today. Mm. I just thought that was a very and some of our songs talk about that. Like in the in the in the middle of the rubble, a flower grew, and we took it forward from there. So, do you write your own tuadas or at least one? Yeah, like? we have like uh, four tua tuadas or loas. Uh, so we have one called "Quando Lie Pro Horizonte." And uh, I'm not the best singer. I usually write these and get someone else to sing them. But it's it's like quando olhei pro horizonte, vi uma estrela me guiando. So when I looked at the horizon, I saw a star guiding me. In this case, the metaphoric star of estrela brilhante. Venho mar aberto, encantando seu reinado. Here comes mar aberto, enchanting your its its kingdom. Vem tocando com garra e brilhe mar aberto, seu batuque tem valor. So you come and play with color, gusto, and <laughs> brilliance. Uh, mar aberto, your batuque, so your, your, your drumming has value. And then and the response is, Vem tocando com garra e brilhe Mar aberto, bebe água de Nago. So Mar aberto drinks the water of Nago. So it's kind of paying homage to the people we take these traditions from. Because in, in Maracatu you hear Nago a lot. Nago, Nago, which is the Nago nation from West Africa, from Nigeria specifically, which is still common, commonly used in a lot of Maracatu songs in Hesifi. So we in Toronto are drinking the water of Nago from Hesifi here with us today so that's how you know kind of paying respects to all the people involved in the in the journey of us being a maracatu group estrella brilhante what we're doing today and the whole greater tradition of nago lovely yeah we have another toada which is i guess it's the group favorite it's a little more epic sounding it kind of has that same feeling as costa velha from the estrella brilhante cd mm -hmm. it's uh let me see oh yeah and this was this is also a, a personal one uh, you know what a guia is a guia can be like the necklace mm -hmm. so uh, i had a guia that i that i got at a shop a macumbero shop like a uh an afro-religious shop i guess you'd call it like a botanica someone, here or something yeah, so like someone gave it to me, and so it was really special for me. It wasn't officially blessed by a Paiji Santo or anything like that, but it had carried a lot of symbolic meaning for me. And one day it bro it broke. So after this, that this song came about. So 
A minha guia quebrou, eu vou jogar no mar. A minha guia quebrou, eu vou jogar no mar. No encanto da sereia, no reinado debaixo do mar. No encanto da sereia, no reinado debaixo do mar. Desse mar aberto, nunca vou me esquecer. Eu vim de longe, antes de tudo eu cheguei. Eu vim de longe, antes de tudo eu cheguei. Minha guia quebrou, eu vou jogar no mar. And from there it goes. So, that song is like my, my guia broke. I'm going to throw it in the sea, into the kingdom of the mermaid, which is Yemanjá, in the kingdom below the sea, no fundo do mar. Uh, desse mar aberto, desse mar aberto, I will never forget about it. I will never, I will never forget you, Mar Aberto. Desse Mar Aberto, nunca vou me esquecer. Eu vim de longe, antes de tudo eu cheguei. I've, I've come a long way, but I've gotten here. So that's, I'm proud of that, basically. That's the intention behind the song. So it was, um, and it was also a homage to the same thing. Nunca antes breaking up. It's been a tragedy, but now we're here today with Mar Aberto. So that's that's the sort of play on the words there. That's great. You're a first singer on on our episodes. Isn't that no way. <laughs> I can't believe that. Actually, maybe you should edit that out. <laughs> no, I loved it. <laughs> it's like it's that style of singing which is like yeah. very capoeira, very popular culture ish, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you guys look on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, there's a video of uh, a local person, Zeca Paulina, singing this song. That's mm -hmm. that specific song. Yeah. We'll post all these links on our um, show notes and um, page. Um, Alex, do you guys parade with um, with a court and with kalongas? Not with kalongas because uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, none of us have the yeah. religious. Uh, obligation hmm. uh, I mean we I would do it if it was like if it operated as an educational piece but I don't want to be fronting anything I'm actually super conscious of that um, yeah. also we when we when we do parade with the court we have all the Chris costumes <laughs> Kristen my lovely partner she she sewed all all the costumes that we have and oh, we wow. have some other costumes Actually, we have a friend of ours very living very close to you in BC who's from Portland originally um, who's a, who was a seamstress in Estrella Brillante. Oh, so wow. she lives just over the border. Her name is Myra. She's incredible. So she has some costumes that she made and we have those as well. Some, some costumes. We use like a big... Uh, for the big dresses that require a frame, we have like big garden hose like those thick industrial garden hose that are hard plastic <laughs> to kind of oh. make the, the frame of the dresses. Oh, that's a good idea. We have a standard and we have a palio. The palio is, uh, it's the big umbrella, the fancy umbrella. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have the court and it's really, it works out really nicely for us. Um, uh, but it's, it's a lot of work to put it together and get all the dancers, you know, so we we try yeah. and we do that one time because the dancers also bring energy to the batuki and the right. people the, the spectacle is really nice for people to watch on the streets so people like it it's it's a lot of work we we recently i don't know if you guys also saw the video on our facebook page where we joined forces with the mexican folk ballet here in toronto yes, cool yeah so they had these dresses that they made that were waves. So with the way they would hold the skirts and move them forward, they were blue and white. They would look like waves. So we had them parade with cool. us. Yeah, it was very cool. And they sort of did their own little fusion. They had a few Brazilian members who like taught them some more. So they were able to dance along. I mean, it's a lot easier to, than the dances they normally do, which involve a lot of stepping, a lot of choreography. So just to dance to the maracatu, really, you just have to have a good time. There is a specific dance, but the most important thing is the ashe, the energy you put into it. So it made for a beautiful, absolutely beautiful parade. Yeah. A lot of groups have, besides carnival, a big 
event they do yearly do you have this or does your does your schedule change your performance schedule uh it changes but i think uh yeah i mean we have our certain summer dates we have this market in toronto called kensington market and they do a car free day the last sunday of every month during the summer months so that ends up being a big day for us to parade and the one in september specifically is very important to us so that's an important date for us as well as uh in the beginning of june there's the mutati international drum festival all the drumming groups in Toronto play this festival, so that's also an important event for us to play at. I I wanted to add something about the the court. Mm-hmm. Sure. Part of that uh, being conscious of how we represent this tradition is one time when Marivaldo, the queen of Estrella, came to Rio. She said, "You know, it's important that your queen." She, had, she was saying this to Alini Valentin, who's like a dancer in Rio Maracatu. She was saying to her, it's really important that the queen in the Maracatu be Afro-descendant. Mm-hmm. So we kind of kind of stick to that here as well. You know, so we, we try and keep that alive. So if we're going to have a, someone represent the queen, it's important for us because Marivalda said that this and this was taught to us that the queen be Afro-descendant as well. That's it. I just wanted to add that. Oh, sure. I think that's pretty common, isn't it, Diana? I mean, with our group, we kind of are conscious with that, that we do that as yeah. well. Yeah. I guess I don't have a lot of experience with other groups. Yeah, I'm not familiar with how big of a an ensemble that they have, if they have courts and the other performance groups. Right, right. Every time you perform, do you bring out the court with you? No. In fact, most times we do not bring out the court. We'll bring out the court if we have a very specific parading gig where we know that we're going to be parading right. for a long period of time. Yeah. Gotcha. That's when we bring it out. Good times. Now, being in the scene... Could uh, I ask you what your favorite groups are just to listen to? Uh, wow. I'm a sucker for Fajo music, but like not the Fajo Universitario and right. not the modern Fajo like from Seara <laughs> mm-hmm. that there is today. I'm more of, I'm more into like the Fajo Pechisea, which is like a living movement. You Often you'll find a lot of kids who are like, oh, but that's like what my grandfather listened to. True, it might be into a certain sense, but there's still a very vibrant scene in itself among young people today too. So I, I like that kind of music. But I like I'm I'm really I really like a, a lot of different kinds of genres. I mean, I work with music as a as a uh, programmer and for a big uh, presenter in the town. So I like all sorts of different kinds of music. Um, Brazilian. I wonder if I have a favorite right now. No, what about Criolo? Have you heard oh, his CD? Oh, I love Criolo. Yeah, and I've really gotten into this uh, uh, Elsa Suarez's new CD. Hmm. I know it's it's very popular right now. In mm-hmm. fact, I'm going on May 19th to try and see her in New York. Nice. Yeah, and if we're talking about gigs, actually, uh, Rob Courtu mm-hmm. is going to be coming up here in the beginning oh, of June for a show. Yeah, so I'm I'm I was happy I was able to put that together, uh, the assistance of some people here. We're gonna Alini Morales, who I mentioned before, she's going to be performing with him here in Toronto. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And do you play any other instruments besides uh, maracatu percussion? Yeah, I play percussion in general. I mean, I started on hand drums. I play conga. Uh, Zabumba, Triangle, Shakers, all, all, a lot of different styles of Brazilian percussion, like to varying degrees. Of course, I said I started in Capoeira, so I play Birimbao also, uh, Pandeiro a little bit, yeah. But as I said that, I think like uh, my calling or my sort of forte in this musical scene has been in making the cultural manifestations happen so facilitating that in one way or another 
even when I was in Brazil, I was working with this group in Rio called Raiz da Tradição, where we were like promoting and uh, creating workshops for different masters coming from the Northeast to Rio de Janeiro. Mm -hmm. And that was really, that proved to be an excellent program. It was really great. I've got a question, yes. What yeah. has been your happiest moment playing this music? Wow. There are many happy moments playing this music. In fact, when we're in the middle of a good rehearsal or a good tocada or like where we're playing out in the street, it's like, it's really, it really elates you. It's like this crazy emotion that's mm -hmm. so, it takes you to the next level. Cause, mm -hmm. and maraca and playing maracatu and those kind of rhythms, like similar to maracatu, they're not like samba, right? They're not like that high energy where that's up very up high. It's more like a very gutsy, very earthy, earthy rhythm, right? And mm -hmm. it, it can really take you there. like pulls you right from the inside and when you're high on that stuff you, it's really it's like a grounded sort of high I, I i can't i think that those happy moments are too many to speak i remember the first time i played in estrella and carnival and we shifted and we were playing and that that was very intense for me uh shifted meaning we like walked into the uh, stage one way and then mr walter made everyone turn the other way and then all of a sudden we were faced with this crowd it was like, whoa, this is insane. This is amazing. Yeah. And those moments are really strong here as well. Or even just a good rehearsal brings that moment. But I'll tell you one thing about popular culture. Uh, cultura popular, like they say in Brazil, you know, like these manifestações, culturais. Uh, sometimes they come knocking at your door so they give you a lot of joy and a lot of cool things in life but then all of a sudden they'll come knocking at your door they'll be like you open the door and they're like i want something back now now a lot of that is due to the communal nature of all these uh forms of music that it involves a lot of community a lot of gossip a lot of stress right so the politics and Things. So a lot of the times people give a lot to these things and it ends up in ra like enveloping their whole life and it takes their attention away from other things. So often maracatu, capoeira, samba, all these things like they end up taking a little bit of your life away too for all the good that they give you. So I'm just going to put that out there because it's been hard because like keeping it alive in my group is hard because sometimes, you know, people aren't out there or their lives get busier. It's it's no one's fault or you have a fight with someone over, you're trying to make something sound good and then all of a sudden like, what the fuck? Like, how could you get that wrong? We've rehearsed it so many times and you lose your cool with someone and it's not cool, but you know, they, they, they're on the receiving end of that and then it's, they, they're all upset and you've created that dynamic and it's really hard to pull it back, you know? So those kind of things, because you get so enraptured in the emotions of it, you invest a big amount of energy to it that sometimes that energy, you know, can come back at you the other way where you've invested so much of your being into something that when things don't go exactly according to plan, you're all the more affected by it, you know? Mm. Just gonna put that out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's refreshing to hear. Actually, that um, yeah, there is another side to it. Yeah, yeah. I know it's really hard, and you know, and you know, sometimes because we because people who lead groups have to contend with a lot of things, and when you're when you're doing it, and someone new comes into town, and maybe it's like someone who sees how much wow you got all these people with you, and it's great, and it's great. There must be some way to make money off this. And then in their mind, they're thinking that you're making a lot of money when really most people who are involved in this art forms, and not only this, but like all art forms, are putting more into them than they're getting back. So right. I think what it you always have to have that in mind. And I'm really grateful today that I'm drawing very little income out of it, just maybe valuing some of the time, some of the time, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. So... And you ha everyone should try as much as possible to have another gig on the side. Because I've seen people who start getting into it, and not just maracatu, but either other 
other forms of like uh, the cultural arts, let's say, and it just sort of overtakes your life where you lose the flavor a little bit and it becomes less a source of joy and more a source of commitment. And that can be very draining, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, these arts are all about liberation, you know. So you got to keep that your eye on that prize. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Because you'll always have that that rehashing. You'll always have the new students that you're going to have to foster. Always have that nurturing. That whole thing will always, always, always be there. Yeah. It's hard being, being a leader of a group because you're on the receiving end of... I mean, a lot of people are, are loving what's happening, but I feel like you also get a lot of like people just offhand complaints. They don't realize like how you take that in and man, it's yeah. rough. It can be, it can be rough. And people yeah, want a lot of people, from you. Yeah. A lot of people come to, for therapy too. And, and quite frankly, like, you know, I, I, I think it should be that way, but that should not be the, it, it should function as a form of therapy for everybody, of course. However, it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be your end goal with the art. We're here for an artistic practice. So part mm -hmm. of an artistic practice involves like sacrifice. It involves like working out yeah. and like being consistent and, you know, physical, especially in like big drums. So you have to stay focused on what you're doing and you're not just there to like, you know, you're, you're not there to surrender, like you surrender to the rhythm, but you always have complete control over your emotions. So uh, your motions, your actual motions. So you're not just letting, <laughs> you know, you're not like the dancer yeah. that you can just forget about everyone around you. There's like a whole, we're like a pyrrhic phalanx, you know, it's like a little bit of a small little army there. We all have to work together and be aware and pay attention to each other. And so if you're not pulling your weight, that means someone else is pulling it for you. So you got to give into the rhythm as much as you can. So you got to hold your own. So that yes. part of it can be very intense when you're trying to put that through to people. It's like, right. hey attention here you know don't start tripping out because your friends are like going <laughs> or partying right next to us and you want to turn around and then you miss a break or a call or something jesus pay attention <laughs> so there's those elements i hate that too i hate it when i gotta be like have the whistle and i like want to if i had a like a sandal or something i want to throw it at the person pay attention what but um, there are those moments too. But when you're, but when we're locked and everyone's in there, it's such a beautiful thing. It's just, it's just so beautiful. I can't even, can't even convey over the airwaves how beautiful yeah. it is. Yeah. Alex, thank you for coming on. We really enjoyed hearing these stories, and we will put all the links up on our website. Thank you very much for having me. Now, in closing, do you have any? Um upcoming gigs any classes you'd like to advertise anything like that yeah we're having our summer fundraiser actually i guess the big which means that we are we are going to be playing next week on april 29th and we are going to be uh, have a lot of special guests all the money will go towards our summer program which hopes to bring up several brazilian teachers this summer Woohoo! awesome <laughs> Super cool. Any shout outs? Um, I would like to give shout out all my teachers. Of course, Mestre Walter, Eder, Lenis Hino, Garnizé, Pitoco, Tiago, Valtinho, Gordinho, everybody, everybody out there that I've learned from, my friends, my beautiful girlfriend, Kristen, uh, yeah, I want to shout out the whole like community worldwide in uh, Maracatujibaki Virado and everybody who has this passion, this love for percussive music and, you know, these Latin Afro-diasporic traditions, you know, I guess that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening, you guys. That was our interview with Alex Bordocas. Um, if you'd like to learn more about him, you can check out his group's website at, let's see, I'm going to spell it for you, M-A-R-A-C-A-T-U 
M-A-R-A-B-E-R-T-O.com. So um, go there and check it out. We'll also have links on our website for more of the things. There's more YouTube videos and um, videos of the song and everything if you want to check that out later. Uh, as far as shout-outs go this week, I'd like to uh, shout-out the folks at the Caipirinha Appreciation Society podcast, Kika Seha and MDC Swingy. They're a long-running podcast that I've listened to for ages, and um, they're in Barcelona and uh, always have a lot of love and have some great music out there um, that they play. Uh, they had a recent um, episode with... Featuring Ogun, and uh, it was a great podcast. So you can find them on Facebook and just look up Caipirinha Appreciation Society. If you would like to have your group's audio featured on the podcast, we would love to do that. Just send it to us at our email. Uh, that's the Brazilian Beat at gmail.com. Um, like I said, you can find the links um, to more things from Alex at www.thebrazilianbeat.com. You can also see photos of our guests there and many other things. We're on Twitter, Brazilian Beat One. That's the number one. We're on Facebook. Diana's posting lots of cool videos on Facebook all the time. Um, so go there and like our page, Brazilian Beat Podcast, or The Brazilian Beat Podcast. She's also on Instagram posting photos, The Brazilian Beat. Um, and you can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Google Play, Player FM. And you can also stream us through our website. It takes a minute sometimes when you're clicking on the little play button. Just be patient. It will play for you. Just wait. Some of those files are really big. It takes a minute to download. So, all right. Thank you for listening, everybody. And please send us any comments, any suggestions, anything. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. 